From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by historian and author Rabbi Beryl Wine. Rabbi Wine discusses confronting the challenges of modern society and explains the importance of studying and learning from Jewish history. Also, the rabbis prepare for Shavuos night and how to celebrate Israel's special days in America. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening, it is Wednesday night, 9 p.m. I'm Rabbi from Goldberg. Joined by my dear friend and colleague, Rabbi Josh Brody. Broid, however you pronounce him, he's a great guy. And we are here to take you... Behind the Bima. Behind the Bima. Someone sent us this week a podcast being done elsewhere called Behind the Something. And uh, the reaction was that there is uh, no greater compliment, there's no greater form of flattery than imitation. So... We're happy to go behind the Bima. Everyone can go behind what they want to go behind to share their stories. But uh, I love it. Yeah. We uh, we were at a wedding this week the other night, and the great Chazim Shulam Lemmer sang under the chuppah. He happens to be a wonderful guy. So we caught him before the chuppah in the corner. His Gemara was open. He was catching up on the daf. We took a nice picture. Posted that picture online to him, which he responded, who knew behind the Bima lies a great photographer? It was very cute. That's very nice. <laughs> anyway, we start as always with our attitude of gratitude. We thank our generous sponsors this evening. First of all, we have a very special sponsor, dear friends, Rabbi Seth and Esther Grossman, SZG Investments, in honor of the hospitality of the Beerus community. Despite us having made Aliyah 13 years ago, Seth can regularly be found in Boca Raton, at Boca Raton Synagogue. We're grateful for his friendship. Uh, we had him on in our marathon show because uh, we acknowledged that uh, during the pandemic, he continued to say, Kaddish, he didn't miss a minion. He went straight. He covered for hundreds of people who needed Kaddish set around the world. Really uh, heroic. So um, Seth is um, is very devoted. Big heart, good guy. Thank him for his sponsorship, his generosity. And uh, I do have to admit, I left out of the language for the sponsorship, but it's possible when he was in Boca recently, we played tennis, carved out a little time, and it's possible he utterly humiliated and embarrassed me. I won't even say the score that's so embarrassing. It was... Now, granted, I get to play tennis once every few months, and he plays about three times a day, but still, there are no excuses, and uh, hats off to him. He did deserve it. Tonight's episode is also sponsored by Chaim Yehuda Mayer in honor of Shavuos at BRS, and he says how lucky we are that Shavuos night is longer in Boca Raton. May the extra learning be as chus for all of Kalal Yisrael, and he's right. You know, when I was growing up in the Northeast, probably you too, Rabbi Brody, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, uh, you know, to Shavuos night is a little bit shorter. You dive in a little bit earlier in the morning. Down south, down here in Boca Raton, where we live down south, we begin davening like after 6 a.m. It's a really long night. When we say we learn the whole night, it starts at 11.15 p.m. We go till 6 a.m. It is a long night. There are parts of the world, remember in Israel, in the years in Israel, you know, you basically finish dinner, you learn for a couple hours, it's time to walk to the hotel or it's time to get ready for the Nate's Minion. And so you stayed up all night learning. It meant, you know, by the time you had a cup of coffee, slice of cheesecake, you were ready to go. But here, it really is a long night. And we're lucky. I love Chaim Yudin Mayer's attitude. We are lucky to have that. And lastly, we want to continue to encourage everybody, if you've not yet signed up for the one-on-one campaign, our beloved dear Esti Moskowitz, the daughter of Rabbi and Rebetzin Moskowitz, is continuing to uh, need her for Shlema. And we started our campaign one-on-one, a dollar a day of giving and a minute a day of learning. You can go to brsonline.org slash the number one, A-N-D, number one, one and one. Join up. We're partnering with our friend, Dr. Donath, the Daily Giving, an incredible platform. BRS are not recipients. We don't get. This is not a ploy for BRS to raise money. This is purely in the merit 
of Esti Moskowitz. You should have a speedy Rufu Shlema. And I do want to add that every person who signs up a dollar a day of giving and the minute a day of learning. So it's Ben Adelamakam, Ben Adelachavera, all in the merit of Esther Tilabas Ariel Tsipora and all those who are ill. The Moskowitzes get an alert for everyone who signs up. They know you signed up. It means something to them. So all the people reach out all the time. What can we do for the Moskowitzes? What can we do for Esti? The answer is one-on-one campaign. Dollar a day of giving. Everyone's got a dollar a day. Everybody's got a minute. I don't mean to be cavalier. Everyone has a dollar a day. But we can dig deep and hopefully hit a dollar a day. Everybody has a minute a day to learn and uh, join the one-on-one campaign. The Moskowitzes will know you signed up, and it'll mean a lot to them. Yes. Growing up, I remember... And Elizabeth, you know, they would have uh, the guy walk around with the pushka, the Billy Goldfisher, right? And you always remember that the real, like the, the, the what do you call them, the, the gavirs, right? The guys, like the machers, right. you, know, you know who they right. were. You know, they were the ones that put the dollar in the pushka. Everyone else, you weren't allowed to put a dollar in. You couldn't That's afford it. A little change, you heard the clank. Nickel, quarter, you know, and then you see the guy with the dollar. But today, I think times have changed. Inflation, who knows? You know, everyone, everyone can find that dollar. Yeah, you know, the beauty of the daily giving is that who walks around with dollars anymore? You know, right. depending on your age, you may not have ever seen a check in your entire life. And right. most of your credit card, you don't even have to swipe it anymore. Yeah, now Bitcoin. You, you tap the credit coin with the <laughs> credit card. And uh, people are used to Venmo and Zelle and yeah. they transfer money through all kinds of other means. So, but that's one of the sad things because part of shul culture used to be that minchamar of a child walks around, depending on the shul, the age, the demographic, the attendees. But it's beautiful when a child walks around. It's also a lot harder to ignore when a child walks around right. shaking that pushka, clanking that pushka. Now nothing clanks. Who's nothing clanks anymore. <laughs> but, you know, someone actually said to me uh, several months ago, they said, you know, Rabbi, they said they were willing to give me. They said, I'll give you a stack of dollars. They said, be, you'd be a great role model if, you know, because what happens is the person walks around with the pushka. You're still could, be a child, could be an adult. No, but if you don't have cash on you or you don't have a dollar on you, you kind of look away, sheepishly, right. you're shy, right. pretend you don't see that person. So this person said to me, you know, Rabbi, everyone, you sit in the front, everyone's watching you. The kid comes near you. It'd be a beautiful thing if, you know, you put a dollar a day, he said, I'll, I'll go to the bank, I'll get you a stack of dollars. So I didn't take his dollars, I took my own. And uh, it happens to be, it's not a matter of being stingy. It's just a matter of who has the stack of dollars. Even if you have bills in your wallet, you know, do you have dollars? Do you start making change? Um, but I took that lesson to heart and I, I tried to, to be able to keep those dollars with me. And, and when we have somebody who walks around, put it in. And I don't know that inspires or motivates anybody else, but there's something special about it. It's a, it's a minimal amount. Hopefully we're and all I love getting those, those daily emails, you know, daily donated today. It's almost, I can't wait till we get to the $10,000 mark. We're very close. Another right. few few people make a donation. We'll be at yeah. They could sign up tonight. People sign up for one on one campaign and honor yeah. of SD Moscots could do it tonight. But and yeah, I, there's diversified recipients, and you get a daily me. email with where it went that day. And and Doctor Donath, I know you you mentioned before that you know BRS is not a recipient. I will say I don't know if he's watching, but if he wants to make a thing to the outreach program, I'm okay with that. You might not be. It's fine with me. If he wants to put yeah. BRS outreach on it. No, but the real question is if Mark Wilds is okay with it. Right. <laughs> for those for those who saw last week's episode, Mark Wilds. You know what, Mark? You could take it Monday. I'll take Tuesday. How's that? <laughs> there was no connection, but I'm happy we had Rabbi Wilds on behind the bima because that might have been what interrupted a stop and desist letter. So a cease and right, exactly. We're for the name of Boca Raton Jewish yes. Experience. <laughs> that was a great conversation last week, and I got a lot of feedback. And, and to our listeners, those who are watching, listening live or later, love to know what you think. We had a conversation with Rabbi Mark Wilds, who's built an enormous outreach engine in Manhattan 
And we talked about what is the cost of acquiring an observant Jew? What is the cost in terms of the outreach professionals, the organization? What, what does it mean if you divide it by the people who actually remove the needle? So, and can you put a price tag on that? What's reasonable to spend? And how do you measure success? So I got a flurry of emails from Shlichim about um, when we invoked what we thought is the Labavitch definition of success in Kirov in outreach. Do we even call it Kirov? Is it outreach? How do you define success? So it was a great conversation and it's an, it's an ongoing conversation. That's amazing. I went, I went home after that, that conversation. I was just curious, like how much money have we actually invested in our kids? You know, you think about it, it's not just 12 years, it's preschool, it's 16 years, plus another right. four years in, in call, call it a Jewish environment for college. It's 20 years. And I don't know what you want to say the average is $15,000, $20,000. It's a lot of money that's right. per kid. It's, yeah. it's hundreds of thousands of dollars you're investing into, into one neshama. Yeah. So what about so, the, right. the others, right? Right. So if we do it for retention, why not do it for acquisition of, of, right. of so to say, new or inspiring additional neshamas? You know, what, one of the goals of Behind the Bema, and we're also very, very, very grateful for the people who, who reached out when we shared last week that we've been on the fence. Do we continue Behind the Bema? You know, there are people that the podcast is their career. That is their entree into people's lives. Baruch Hashem, we have full-time jobs and um, incredibly proud of, of our opportunity, feel privileged and blessed and wouldn't trade it for anything in the world to teach Torah. And we invite you behind the Bema is, is fun, but we invite you to the classes that we teach on a regular basis, Parsha and Amuna and turn Friday to Erev Shabbos and Erev Shabbos Kolo and, and so many classes to read, read the articles and the like. Um, but we got a lot of feedback about behind the Bema, why we should continue. And, and our goal of behind the Bema, you know, this banter that we have before and after the interview is fun, but we have Rabbi Beryl Wine on tonight. Amazing. He's a legend. He's a legend. He's Living a hero. Um, yeah. What he's accomplished and, and what he's still accomplishing. He's closing in on a 90. Many, many long years, healthy years. Um, and he's not done. He's talking all about his plans and his, and his projects and what, he's, and what he's working on. So our goal in Behind the Bema is to create and stimulate conversations. And our hope is that it continues. So um, I recently saw my cousin, Rabbi Beshevkin, David Beshevkin, and the conversation we had with him, what qualifies as Torah? What do you make a birchas Torah on? What falls under the definition of Torah? It's a question right. we'll have for Rabbi Wine. Do you say a blessing of Torah on, on reading history? Is studying history a form of studying Torah? That became an ongoing conversation. So, so Debash, my cousin, was the scholar in residence over Pesach, and he actually spoke about that, the program he was on. And he's still working on it. We should give him a shout-out. He was in the Wall Street Journal today, had an opinion piece about the power of prayer. Wrote a beautiful piece, making us proud. Way to go, cousin. So, but, but the goal is all of these guests, all of these guests. Bruce Pearl, you know, on Yom Yerushalayim, we shared the clip from our conversation with Bruce Pearl, where he talked about his, his grandfather, who didn't want to go to sleep during the Six-Day War because he was worried he was going to wake up and Israel wouldn't be there. So if you're new to Behind the Bema, go back, listen to old episodes, not for us, but we just had remarkable, extraordinary men and women guests. We've got a great lineup of guests coming up the next few weeks and months. Really excited men and women, really diverse to bring you. And the goal is to, to get conversations going, to stimulate and provoke thinking and conversations and to assess where we are and where we're going. You know, it's amazing. I, I was thinking back, when, when, when did I meet Rabbi Wine? You know, back in the day in Elizabeth, he visited a lot. But I remember I was once at Neve for Shabbos in Telstone. And this was back in the day where you could hitchhike from Telstone back to, back to Yushalayim. And I was there with a friend. I don't remember who it was, but we were just at the entrance of, of Telstone. And some, it was definitely like a, like a, like a American car, like a Buick or a Cadillac or something, you know, and the, the door swings open, you know, we hop in the back. He's like, where are you fellas going? <laughs> I'm like, where are you going? 
<laughs> Rabbi Wine, is that you? Is that yeah, you? listen, Rabbi Wine, and, and, you know, let's bring him on. Let's, let's uh, introduce, because it is such an honor and a privilege, this conversation. Um, but um, Rabbi Wine is one of those people that I look at as, as a Rav, and I, I just feel so intimidated and feel so small yeah. compared to who he was, who he is, and what he is accomplishing uh, in his career for countless years. He was in Miami Beach, and then he was in months. He wasn't even going to go into the rabbinate. He grew up in Chicago. He was a lawyer, a practicing lawyer. There's an extraordinary story with Rabbi Herzog, how he even chose to dedicate his life to, to bringing Jews back and to serving Jews. So in the rabbinate in Miami Beach and the rabbinate then in Muncie for those years, he wasn't just the rabbi of a shul. He was the Rosh Hashiva of Shari Torah, of Shari Torah, of, uh, of Rockland, of, of Muncie. And then he took up history, studying it and sharing it, and has written countless, countless books on it. Who didn't grow up with Rabbi Wine tapes before anyone ever heard of a podcast before anyone ever heard of an MP3 or YouTube or streaming or the notion of reaching people who aren't physically in front of you, but nevertheless getting in front of them. Rabbi Wine was a pioneer of that. Yeah. Many people exercising in their car while cooking were, were on journeys through history, Jewish history and Jewish destiny and, and learning and the movies. There was the nowhere else to access that information. It was, no. you, you wanted history, that was the address. So how did he get it all done? Rabbi, Rosh Hashiva, historian, right. author, lecturer, scholar, lawyer, leader. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a really, really amazing what he's done and what he's doing. My wife's uh, grandparents, Arnold and Edith Goldsmith, a blessed memory, uh, our, our beloved Oma and Opa, were very close with the wines and Davin the Shul for many, many years. And one of my early memories was they, they lived in uh, Yerushalayim, on Rehov Al-Fasi in Yerushalayim. It's a beautiful neighborhood, a beautiful street. We were having a Friday night dinner. And it was, um, Yecheva was pregnant with Racheli, with my oldest. And uh, she was in the ninth month and nearing, nearing her term. And so I'm trying to make conversation with Rabbi Wine, uh, sitting at a Shabbos table with a prestigious rabbi. So I asked him, I asked him, Rabbi Wine, um, if she goes into labor, what do I do? Should I, um, should I call a cab, ask for an do I? What do I do in the future? Do I call before Shabbos? So I only have to press redial on Shabbos. How do I call? How do I pay? What do I do? It's like I had been studying the Sefer Torah. So I go, led us. I'm asking these complicated questions. Rabbi Wine just looks at me and he says, your wife goes into labor? You pick up the Get phone. in a car and drive her to the <laughs> hospital. That's what you do. He has a way of just simplifying right. things yeah. and making, making what should be obvious, obvious. So we have many uh, prominent members of our community who grew up in Rabbi Weinshul and were influenced uh, by him. Aftali Herman, Carl Markowitz emailed me. He's listening tonight. Uh, my father is my friend's dear father and so many countless others we can't even uh, say so. Without any further ado, it really is a privilege and an honor, a schus and a pleasure to welcome the one and only, the great, the legendary Rabbi Beryl Wine. We are joined by uh, the great Rav, author, historian, uh, lecturer, Rabbi Beryl Wine. Rabbi Wine is a uh, personal mentor of mine. I've known him, I had the privilege since I'm married. He's close with my wife's uh, family, grandparents, and whole family. And it's a great schos, it's a great privilege, Rabbi Wine, to uh, have this conversation with you. Thank you for Thank making you. time for us. Thank you. It's, good. it's really, it's an honor to be with you. So, Rabbi Wine, you, you've had an illustrious uh, career and history and perspective on history. And... Um, We'd love to to talk a little about where we are in history. This particular juncture, this particular moment, we're coming out of a pandemic. And in the history of the Jewish people, in our history of, of pandemics, of plagues, of how life changed as a result of them, what do you think will be different for the Jewish community, for the Jewish people? What will we learn? How will we change? 
What will be different as a result of what we've just gone through? Well, uh, you're really asking for prophecy, not for history. And uh, I'm not much of a prophet. And, uh, in fact, you know, I have a, a, I don't see very well anymore, Baruch Hashem. So I have a dictating uh, program on my computer. And uh, that program, uh, when I say prophet, it always spells it P-R-O-F-I-T. <laughs> it's like the anti-Semitic. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I the only thing that I feel is uh, that uh, the old normal is gone. Uh, the normal of the 1990s, let's say, or the early part of the 21st century. I think that's gone. It's gone as far as politics is concerned. It's gone as far as uh, public uh, interaction. It may even be gone economically and uh, socially as well. It's a far different world today. And... uh, One of the things that's taught us is that nothing is certain. Uh, that what we thought was certain really uh, it's all uh, it's all air. It really is not not nothing there to hold us. So it's a question of values. Now, Torah Torah uh, is a value system aside from everything else that it is. But the question is, has the Jewish people, and particularly the Orthodox Jewish world, uh, does it have its value system? If it has, it's still intact, or mostly intact, then the future can be challenging, but it is not, uh, uh, it's not dangerous uh, per se. If, however, the value system is not there and we are back to the old value system of 20 years ago then it can be very lethal for us because the situation has changed radically i thought in my naivete that uh, people would no longer make uh, two hundred thousand dollar weddings or $150,000 peso. I thought that our expectations would diminish, but that does not appear to be the case. And because of that, therefore, uh, I think we have a lot of headwind ahead of us. Hmm. Is this, Rabbi Wein, you spoke about Torah values and needing to navigate the world with Torah values. Is the assault that we're living through now on our Torah values in terms of the world, the Western world's new definitions of of basic biology or redefinitions of relationships or the immodesty that we're living in, are some of these new definitions, would you consider this an assault on Torah values? Is it unprecedented? How did we react historically to the assault on, on values? It's an absolute assault on Torah values. And uh, the uh, 
we're living through what our ancestors lived through in the 19th century in Eastern Europe and in Germany, when uh, a completely different value system swept the street, uh, whether it be the Haskalah, whether it be reform, whether it be Marxism, that's what happened to us. And you see what it left us with. And uh, that's the same thing that's happening now. And uh, the question is, how do we adjust to it? How do we fight it? Uh, you know, what, what, will our schools succumb to it? Our schools also become woke schools. Mm. Do we have uh, the courage to stand up and say, uh, that the emperor has no clothes and a man is not a woman, a woman is not a man. And that the breakdown of American society and crime is because there are no fathers in the family. And are we so afraid of being uh, tainted with uh, all sorts of insults that we're not willing to say the truth? You know, the, uh, when the prophet Yonah was in the uh, hold of the boat, so they asked him, who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do for a living? What, what's your story? And he answered them two words, Ivri Anochi. That's it. That's all I am. Well, are we willing to say that? Are you willing to... Uh, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, the Jewish people have always been on the outside, never on the inside. One of the fallacies of American Jewish life is that we thought we were on the inside. Hmm. You have a Seder in the White House, you can light Hanukkah candles in the White House. We're there, you know, we don't have any problems anymore. It doesn't exist. Right. Well, we're on the outside. We're always operated on the outside. Well, Rabbi Wine, first of all, it's a real honor to see you. You know, I was just thinking, um, growing up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, we used to have a scholar in residence come to JEC, to our school. But unlike most communities where maybe there is a variety of scholar in residence, I, I only remember you coming many, many times. I so, <laughs> you were the only scholar in residence I ever knew. You were the only guest we ever looked forward to. I'm very close with the Rabbi Feitz and his family. Sure. It was great. So I'm just wondering now in, in the United States. I mean, that's a good example. Let me just okay, uh, sure. interrupt you for a minute. I mean, why was Elizabeth different? Hmm. Why didn't Elizabeth uh, succumb to becoming uh, reform, conservative, uh, all sorts of compromises? That's because Rabbi Tite said no. And he was on the outside. And he fought the battle. And he took a lot of criticism, a lot of guff. And he was innovative. I remember when he did the Dafa Shavua and he, he uh, taught Gemara on the radio. So uh, the, uh, the left said, it's uh, what a waste of time, terrible. And the right said, are you allowed to talk on the radio with Talmud? Hmm. 
And both of them missed the boat. They didn't see what was happening. That's the same thing today with the internet or everything else. We have to fight the battle, and we have to fight the battle with the tools that exist. And you can't fight them by ignoring it. And uh, listen, uh, you know, the Orthodox community is in jeopardy because uh, the government will tell you what you have to teach in your schools, what uh, standards you have to have uh, for uh, your educators. You know, they'll invent the whole thing. You're going to have to have equity. Equity means that you can't have rub on it from Lakewood. And uh, that is the danger that we face. And it, no one, no, I can't say no one, but very few people are willing to say it. Very few people are willing to take it on. You get, you get up today and you say, uh, the Torah does not approve of uh, gender choice. We all know that to be true, but who has the nerve to say it? And if we don't say it, so then eventually it becomes part of us too, like everything else has become part of us. The, the challenge, Rabbi Wan, the challenge is that the world we're living in has positioned it that, of, of course, we have to say it. And, and, you know, here in Boca, we try to say it and try to write about it and articulate it. The challenge is that the world has positioned this, that if we speak basic truths, then we're violating civil rights, we're cruel, we're not compassionate, we're bullying. Right, all of these accusations have been leveled against us throughout history. We never were compassionate. We never were right. We were the ones that killed their savior. We were the ones that did everything wrong. We are the selfish ones. You know, these are not these are not new. What's new is that we don't have the self pride to be able to stand up to it. We don't teach it in our schools. We teach a lot of knowledge, but we don't teach them what it is to be a Jew. I remember when I went, uh, I was in seventh grade uh, in the Chicago Jewish Academy. That was quite a few decades ago. It's uh, almost 80 years. The Rebbe would begin the shear in the morning by saying, we're going to first say, and he would say, Ashreinu matov chelkeinu, manoyim goraleinu, mayofo yushaseinu, Ashreinu shanachnu mashkimim umarivim erev avoker vomrim pamayim b'chol yom shma Yisrael Hashem elokeinu Hashem echod. Now we can sit down and learn. <laughs> Today we sit down and learn, right? So it's how much Judaism is not how much you know; it's how much is it in you. And I don't know what the magic bullet for that is. I was fortunate enough that I went to yeshiva and I had rabbeim that somehow were able to inject all of that within us. 
face in the future. I remember the Potavijarov came to the Chicago Yeshiva to speak. It was 1946. It was right after the Shoah. And I remember he stood, and it was at a time when uh, in the, the land of Israel, uh, the uh, Irgun and the uh, Lehi, parts of the Haganah were fighting the British. And the British arrested and they hanged the Jews. It was not a, and it was not a nice time to be a Jew. Because Jews are supposed to be nice guys. And what do you know? You're, you're shooting at the British. And he said as follows. I remember it distinctly. He said there are seven young men in prison in Jerusalem who are determined to drive the British out of the land of Israel. And he says, I have no doubt that those seven will do so. He said, if I had seven such young men who were determined to build a Torah state in Israel, we would be able to do so. That's the name of the ball game. Moshe said, it's the worst time in Jewish history. They just took the luchos. He had to break them. There's nothing left. Give me some people that are for us. Who goes for us? The Novi said. The Novi Yishayol is in heaven. And what does he hear from the angel? What does he hear in heaven? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Okay, the heaven hasn't stopped asking that question. Who goes for us? Who puts us at the front of the line? So he writes, so we'll be going to will be called racists, will be called white supremacists, will be called everything. Okay, so what can we do? You know, the challenge is, Rabbi Wein, we, we live in a world which is consumed by the word identity, right? Identity battle, identity politics, intersectionality about identity, and, and for young people growing up in the Western world who are not firmly rooted in Torah, Jewish identity is only one of their identities. It's part of their identity, and it may not be the most important or the top or highest identity they have. And that's it's this identity conflict, which part of the identity will, will come out to be the most supreme or to one the one that really supersedes the others. Isn't that the area where our education and our families should concentrate on? Yeah, I'll certainly. Tell you, I grew up in... Uh, I grew up in Chicago in the 1940s. The Cubs had not yet won a World Series. <laughs> 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 
I would live down a block. There were at least a hundred Jewish boys my age. Everybody on the block was Jewish. Played together, everything. I was the only Shomer Shabbos. For various reasons. So Shabbos, uh, my friends would come knocking on the door and they would say, uh, uh, you know, Canberra will go with us. Uh, we're, We're going to the ball game or we're going out to play, or we're going to the playground. And my mother, who was a a very strong woman, she said, no, he's not going with you. Today is our Sabbath, and uh, tomorrow will go with you, not today. And believe me, I wanted to go. But... uh, That was always implanted within me. So when I became a parent, and I was a row in Miami Beach, and uh, my daughters were growing up in Miami Beach then, and most of their friends were not Shomer Shabbos, even though they all went to the Hebrew Academy, the Rabbi Gross's institution, and he was able to attract everyone. The Hebrew Academy saved uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of souls. But they were not from, so to speak. So they all had bat mitzvah parties. So the bat mitzvah party then, they had uh, the boys come, and they had the band, and they had the... And and my daughters wanted to go. And my wife told them, that is not what our family does. We have a great family, and that's not what our family does. Well, that's stuck. That we have a great family, and our family has values, and that's not what we do, and we just have to live with it. There's a great rub here in Shari uh, Chesed, Rob Rosenthal's the Colonel of Rocha who uh, I knew, and uh, I learned a great deal from him. So when people came and asked him a question, Rebbe, is it kosher or not kosher? Is it right or not right? He would answer, he answered in Yiddish, but I'll say it in English, he would answer, it's not for you. That was his answer. It's not for you. Don't have to decide whether it's kosher or not kosher. Don't have to repeat to you every thousand shach and three begotten. It's not for you. I think somehow that message has to be given. I think rabbis have to give it. Educators have to give it. Parents have to give it. It's not for us. That's not who we are. It's uncomfortable. Whoever said that Judaism was comfortable? Hmm. Whoever said that we have to be liked by everybody? We have to like everybody, but who says that everybody has to like us? Hmm. Is part of the problem being in the United States? 
Do you think the community should pick up? I think the United States is changing greatly. The United States was the great haven for Jews. Uh, We owe the United States an enormous debt of gratitude. There's been no exile that has had the uh, opportunities given to Jews, which the United States has given. But uh, listen, you know, my... uh, my history tells me that every exile ends. question is how it ends. How soft a landing or hard a landing it is. I mean, the Jews were 800 years in Poland. They're never going to leave Poland. There's 3 million Jews in Poland. You got the Gera Rebbe. You got the Shivas Chachni Lublin. You know, you, you got Radomsky. We're in Poland. Like somebody turned off the switch. They're not in Poland. Look what's going on in Ukraine. It's all part of it. The exile is shutting down. Hmm. How? How fast? Where? I don't know. That's not my job. I don't think there's anybody that doubts that the future of the Jewish people is in the land of Israel. One way or another. Does that mean that uh, Rabbis Goldberg and Broidy should pick up tomorrow and leave Boca Raton and come here? I would not recommend that. First of all, here they would be unemployed, but uh, <laughs> we still have a podcast we could do. <laughs> but uh, you can't do that. But there's a recognition that something is happening. Right. And that recognition uh, is part of it. So the, the goal of the American Jew should not be, I want my son or daughter to go to Harvard, Yale, or Dartmouth. That time is past. You did that already. We proved we can do it. But that's not going to preserve the Jewish people, not individually nor not as a group. Mm. and if we don't have I spoke about values the main value is the preservation of the Jewish people and the only way you preserve the Jewish people is through self-pride through Torah observance through a national sense of mission you don't preserve it by making more organizations and committees and conferences and studies and few uh, senses and stuff that that's all you know. I have a muscle for that uh, when I first became a grandfather Baruch Hashem, many years ago so uh, my oldest grandchild was going to become three years old and he was precocious as all my grandchildren are great-grandchildren so I told my wife, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go to Toys R Us. And I'm going to buy him a toy that will be educational, entertaining. It will last. It won't be dangerous. I'll my list. And I went to the store. And I put in a good half hour finding the toy that I wanted that met all of my superb criteria, 
And then the day came and I presented it to my grandson and he spent the next half hour playing with the box. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) And I want to tell you that to me is the metaphor of the Jewish world. They're playing with the box. Right. Okay. But eventually circumstances force things upon it. You spoke about Corona. Corona forced things upon us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It made me look at synagogue worship differently. It made me look at the, the community differently. And I, th- I, uh, I mean, my, our shul, my shul here in Rechavir, uh, the shul where I'm the senior rabbi, and I'm getting more senior as it goes uh, we never closed. The, the board wanted to close it a few times. I made a personal appeal not to close the show. Because once you close the show, it's hard to reopen it. So the, the show is not, still not what it was before Corona, though it's 90%. But in retrospect, the shul is what held the people together. Mm. That there still was a shul. There still was a rug. There were Zoom classes. There still was Torah. There still was something. You let it go, it goes. And so that's your sense of mission, right? I think... uh, I think... uh, Bokaratan Synagogue has shown us what a sense of mission can accomplish. You don't have to you don't need this podcast, right? You can you could be on the golf course. We're trying. We're trying. So that's yep. all we can do. That's all we can do is try. Lafum Tsara Agra. The reward is in the try. You know? You have to also believe that heaven wants us to win. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Lule Hashem, Hosir Lonu, sorry, if the Bobishon did not want us to win, Kizdomoyinu, Kamora Daminu, we would have disappeared. Everybody else is gone. You were the only ones around. I mean, Mark Twain had a famous essay about that 150 years ago. What should we say now? I mean, if you, <laughs> every day you come to Yerushalayim and you look at it, Yerushalayim now is almost a million people, enormous city, skyscrapers, buildings, bridges, tunnels, everything else. A bunch of shoemakers came and made this place. How did this happen? Oh, well, we understand, we know, the Zionists, this, that, that's all both. It's playing with the box. And somehow that has to be communicated. I think that the sermons are very, very effective tools. But you have to say the same thing over and over and over again. You have to say it in a different way. And you need a different story. And the Lord is on the side of rabbis. He always gives you stories. 
things always happen. But you have to hack the same message. Sooner or later, it sinks in. And then it's a whole different ballgame. Or, or the stories are true. They just haven't happened yet. Right, Rabbi Wine? That's right, yes. True. Yeah. But the, it doesn't have to happen. It just has to. Uh, stories are imagination. We live on imagination. I mean, the reason that we're in Eretz oil is because in 1,800 years of Golas, we imagined what Eretz oil would be. R- Rabbi Wine. Yeah, you, you you mentioned eighteen hundred years imagining what Eretz Yisrael could be. I'm just thinking, you know, eighteen hundred years, two thousand years imagining what Achdus could be. Well, why, why are we missing out on the Achdus? It depends what your definition of Achdus is. There will always be a spectrum. My definition of achdus is you have an opinion or you do something. I don't agree with it. I think you're dead wrong for doing it. But I don't hate you for it. I don't say uh, you're an apicarius because of it. Okay. You have your opinion. I have my opinion. We're never going to always have the same opinion. Now, when we define Achdus as having the same opinion, we are precluding any Achdus from occurring. Right. But are you Achdus. friends with are you are you friends with the person that you disagree with? Can you be friends with that person? I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> Can you be friends? I didn't depend your definition of friends again. A, a person that I disagree with needs help. I will help him, God willing. Uh-huh. I'm giving money to Natura Carta because they need it. Because this this person from Natura Carta is asked to go through a, a serious operation and needs a hundred thousand dollars. Then so I didn't say uh, you know I wouldn't give a nickel to Natura Carta to put an ad in the New York Times, but as an individual. As a, as a Jew that needs help, I'm not going to ask him his politics. So there's an achdus there. Even though I don't identify with it, I don't approve of it, and I uh, I think it should disappear. But nevertheless, I mean, that's how Roma Vino. I mean, the simple lessons of the Chumash I know Rabbi Goldberg gives a parsha here that I nash on every uh, every week, but uh, the truth of the matter is the Chumash really doesn't need all of the layers that we give it to. Hmm. He speaks directly to us. Avram Avinu, I can't get over Avram Avinu plays for stone. What's wrong with him? It'd be me if you drop the nuclear on him. Goodbye. Do the world a favor. No, maybe there's 50, 40, 30, 40, 10. It ends up there's two. It's going to be Ruth and Nama. So all of that is worth it. So we don't know heaven's uh, calculations. But so then we have to do what we have to do.
uh, the house of Avram and Sora, three Bedouin Arabs walk in and they walk out as angels. You talk about Achdus, you know, it's all in the definition of what is Achdus. Well, speak, speaking of the Achdus, there's, there's a polarization going on right now where it feels like in the Jewish world, we're either going to the right or the left. It feels like there's a big move to the left. Conservative is disappearing, reform, and even less than that affiliation. And among the Orthodox going to the right. How, where, where, do, where do you see with the, with the perspective of, of well, history as a historian? Is this polarization of the extremes? Is there, is there a center left to be had? Are we going to continue to go far to the left and far to the right? Will conservative disappear and, and morph into the liberal streams? Will all be one direction? And orthodoxy is going to continue to go to the right? Where, where do you think the future is? Well, again, it's <laughs> yeah. a great question. Depends on your definitions. Uh, I think one of the greatest tragedies of American Jewry is that the conservative movement is bankrupt. Hmm. I know that sounds heretical, but if I'm appearing on your podcast, I'm already a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was a time when conservative Jews all had a kosher home, and they had a Friday night dinner and their children didn't marry out. And they supported Orthodox yeshivas. And you were able to talk to them. The moment that that disappeared, so they're doomed. History has doomed them, not us. History has doomed them. Reform, there's no reform left. If you watch... uh, the Friday night services from the Central Synagogue in New York, you don't know whether to laugh or cry. But the one thing that I notice is that it's a parody of the Orthodox service. They have a myra, they sing Lechadodi, they say Kaddish, they read from a Sefer Torah, Everybody's wearing a talis, the ladies, everybody. That's reform? Reform was in the 19th century in Germany. That you know, no, no Hebrew, no mention of Israel, no prayer service. We're open Sundays, not Saturday. So that disappeared. That to disappear. This is also going to disappear, unfortunately. All the wokeness and everything, it's all, you know, it's all going. Won't make it. Never has. So when you look at Jewish history, but there always has been like this. You know, the Chazal fought the Tzdokim. And the Tzdokim ran the base of Migdash. You had to make the coin go to take a Shavua on Arab Yom Kippur that he's going to do it, Right? He's not going to play the organ. And then we have the Karoyim. We always have had, you know, it's, it's not, you know, my Rebbe used to say to us that when we were in ninth grade and puberty struck us, so he would tell us that we did not invent girls. 
they existed before us. And therefore, you'd be wise to hear what older people had to say on the subject. So I don't, I don't see, you know, it's disheartening. Every, It's terrible to say that 70% of American Jewry won't be here 50 years from now, but that wouldn't be the first time that such things happen. If all the potential Jews in Europe remain Jewish, there'd be... Uh, 250 million Jews in Europe. What about in the other direction? What about the move to the right? Well, the move to the right, you know, it depends what you call the right. To a great extent, it's playing with the box, in my Mm. opinion. Yeshivas may be full, but I don't see the Gomim coming, do you? You're making a yeshiva now, I hear. Amen. But the Gemara said, If you were successful out of a thousand to make one, wow, you did a good job. So that's the yeshiva system that we have, right? You know? Lakewood has thousands. Okay, so what? You know, where, so what? I think uh, here in the, uh, I mean, there in the United States, at least, eventually most of them uh, blend into society, become uh, you know, earn a living, family. They're not dependent so much on uh, charitable aid. Here in Israel, it's a much more difficult question. Hmm. But when you say they move to the right, I don't know, you know, move to the right. uh, Again, a lot of it is politics. A lot of it is organizations. A lot of it is turf. Hmm. It's still all playing with the box. And uh, I, 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 my uh, teachers uh, 75 years ago in the Chicago yeshiva were far more to the right than I am or my children are. Mm. But we didn't understand what the right was or the left was, etc. It took 800 years to make uh, Eastern European Jewry. It disappeared in five. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So you got to leave the Jewish people alone a little. It's not that uh, we, we, uh, it's like uh, the 24-hour cable news. If there are no crises, you got to invent crises. Because you got to keep, keep on, you know, having the experts say something. Hmm. So we invent crises here too. Not so bad. Not so bad. Can we pivot to history? I want to ask you, Rabbi Wine. First of all, what what you've contributed, I'm, it's mind-boggling to me when I think about you are a Rav, you're a Rosh Hashiva, aside from the career as a lawyer before that, um, an author of, of countless books and, and an expert on history and Jewish history. And at a time uh, at, here at BRS, we've had some courses on history and, and we rely on... Uh, on Google and we rely on the research of others and we stand on the shoulders of giants and, and you were producing 
and you were lecturing and, and the thousands of tapes that everybody listened to without those tools that are at disposal, it's, it's mind boggling and it's extraordinary. But I want to ask you, one as a historian, somebody who's written and promoted um, the study of history, why does history matter? Why is it important? And why isn't it Bittel Torah? If I could put on another Torah podcast or I could listen to Rabbi Wine speaking history, why is it valuable to listen to, to history? And what is the role from a Torah perspective of history? Rav Schwab famously had a perspective that we don't have to share the, uh, you know, the, the ugly parts of our history because we're not sharing it to preserve history accurately. We can present hagiography or we can present because we're using it educationally. Do you agree with that, or do you believe that we have to share the good, the bad, and the ugly, that history is a value, even the parts that we're uncomfortable with? It depends whether you're teaching history to uh, third grade, elementary school, or you're teaching it to seniors in high school, or you're teaching it in uh, yeshivas and seminaries. Depends, uh, you know. Uh, I don't have to... Uh, burden uh, eight, nine, ten-year-olds with uh, the story of the Karoyim or the story of Shabzai uh, Svi. But I don't think that any intelligent Jew can grow to maturity without knowing those stories, without knowing what happened, without knowing what can go wrong. If you know what can go wrong, then you somehow have a sense of what can go right. You know, it's, if you have uh, Waze or Google tell you, don't take the next exit. So that has value, even if they didn't tell you yet which exit you're supposed to take. History tells us what. So that's part of the problem today. I cannot imagine why anybody in their rational mind should be a Marxist. After 150 years of disaster, and 150 million people dead because of Marxism between China and Russia and all the other communist countries and Venezuela. So what do you want from it? Why will it work now? The answer is that nobody teaches them. Hmm. I did a, a, a lecture series, eight lectures on Marxism and the Jewish people. I recommend that series to all Marxists and non-Marxists. Because <laughs> it, to me, preparing the lectures, well, you know, I, yeah, I have to do things that I didn't do before, so I got to have fresh series. So, I, you know, as I just said, I'm doing this series. I didn't have in mind what it's going to be. But when I started to work on it, Wow, what a different world. Hmm. So I, I'm trying to put it out there. I mean, you can't bring anyone to listen, but uh, I, I think that uh, these are important things. And so wait, is it time of Torah? Well, you know, I, I say what Rabbi Soil Salanter, the famous uh, quip, that one of the anti-Musser Russia yeshiva asked him, he said, if I have 10 minutes a day to learn, should I learn Bavakama or should I learn Musser? 
And Rabbi Yisrael said, you should learn Musr, because then you'll know you have more, more than time. that today. <laughs> and that's true of history, too. If you know history, you'll have more than 10 minutes a day to learn. You'll mm. understand what learning does. Wow. Would you make a Birchas HaTorah on studying history? I don't do things that are not in the Shulchan Aruch. I try not to. I'm not an innovator. I think the Shulchan Aruch is pretty heavy the way it is. But uh, I... Uh, Torah, the study of Torah, to the Rabban Torah, Tzivalonu Moshe, Marosha, Gehilas Yaakov. So first there's Torah, Tzivalonu Moshe. That's primary. But there's also Marosha, Gehilas Yaakov. And it's in the same person. And the Torah said it. I, I didn't say it. So I don't think we should be nervous about it. And part of the problem is that we gave history over to the Apicorsen. Right. He gave it over to Gretz so no rabbi comes out whole. Hmm. He gave it over to the, to the scholars, the experts. One thing Corona taught us, there are no experts on anything. Hmm. Your opinions. There are smart people and dumb people. But there are no experts. Hmm. There are no experts on Jewish history either. People say to me, what was your degree in Jewish history? I said, my father used to tell me about it. <laughs> Which is, again, what the Torah says. Schor solom, binu you want to know history? Ask your father. Ask him what it was to grow up in New York 60 years ago, 50 years ago. Nobody asks. Mm-hmm. So how can you know what's going to, you know, how to deal? And when we're transmitting history, when we're giving the answer to that, to the next generation, when we're telling them about events and places and people, do we tell them the glory, the positive? Are we willing to share the struggles, the challenges, the imperfections? Absolutely, Absolutely we're willing to share what, what is not, what was not accomplished. Because that's uh, that's what's left for us. Not to do that again. Not to be guilty of that again. And uh, I think one final point uh, is that uh, history should teach us what is important and what is relatively unimportant. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I like Rabbi Goldberg's Yamuka, but it's not my Yamuka. And I like uh, somebody's got a knitted Yamuka, it's not my Yamuka. So what? So what? And uh, we like to judge people and things by, again, by the box and not by the inside. We're so grateful for your time, Rabbi Weiner. We're going we're to wind down. Just a couple more quick questions, maybe not quick. Um, you, you've written so many books. You've authored countless articles, volumes. 
Is is there anything you regret writing or you wish you would have written differently? Everything can be improved upon. That's mm -hmm. one of the lessons in life. And uh, so I guess there are things that could have been written better. But on the whole, uh, on the whole, I'm pretty satisfied with what I wrote. Is there, is there someone from history or a time period that you think is underrated or underappreciated? Is there a personality in Jewish history or a time period that we don't begin to appreciate? In the United States, it's Dr. Revel. I don't think that would be orthodoxy in America if it weren't for Dr. Revel. Wow. In the... Uh, Believe it or not, the Chofetz Chaim is underrated, too. You know, the, the, the Welt says, you know, uh, that Reb Chaim Grzynski was so great a goon that it hid his tzidkus, his righteousness. And the Chofetz Chaim was so great a tzaddik that it hid the fact that he was a goon over. And I think that's true with a lot of great people. So that the person himself is not underrated, so to speak, but he's rated for only a part of him, not for the whole person. Because the whole person is too great for us to encompass. So, so Rabbi Wine, I guess with, the, with this closing question, Mirza Shemi should have gesund and good health and, and long years into 120 and beyond. But as you stand today with so much still more to accomplish and contribute, in that rich legacy, which is overwhelming and intimidating for me and countless others in Rabbanus, of what you accomplished and achieved and the roles that you had, what, what do you think is your biggest impact or influence? How do you want to be the most remembered for the difference that you made? Chazal say... They have a lot of Talmidim. Talmidim are different. So uh, basically it's our family and our Talmidim. It's our congregants. It's the people we come in contact with. That's how we, we are remembered. That's how we, uh, that's how we have true effect. So the books are books and the, the movies are movies and everything is wonderful. But there's nothing like uh, human contact and personality and dealing with, with live people. And uh, I think that that, uh, I, I, I think that that is what has motivated me all the years and why I uh, continue to uh, fool myself to think I could be an effective rabbi. Rabbi Wan, you're, you're the greatest, you're the best. It's been a tremendous chus to be with you and to spend this time. Where can people find uh, that series about the Marxists? Is that on Destiny? Is that on the Destiny? JewishDestiny.com And if you want the phone number, you can call. Her name is Mrs. Elaine Gilbert. And it's the phone number is 732 987-9008. And if you tell her you heard it on the BRS podcast, 
She may give you free shipping. It's <laughs> great. Number one, thank you. Thank you for your time, for your wisdom, for your insights. This was a really a fascinating, thought-provoking, and in some ways challenging conversation and, and a good way to go into a Shavuos thinking about it. Thank you for all that you do and continue to do, and we look forward to continuing to listen and learn for many, many more years. Amen. Thank you. The great Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Beryl Wine. What a privilege to have this conversation with him. Um, I, I have a big regret that um, it, it was a very sobering take on the world, the Jewish world today. And my regret is that we didn't end by asking what's something to be positive and hopeful about. What's a, a good trend? What's progress? What's something that he sees as positive? Bring but him overall, back. it was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, bring him back. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. There's so yeah, much he to has think a perspective about. Knowledge. You know? he, he has a perspective himself because of his age and his life and, and what he's experienced. And he has the perspective of knowing history. Right. When he looks at the world, it, he's looking at it through a very different lens than we look at it through. Right. Like he actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I was most blown away, as I said earlier, that Rabbi Wine is uh, approaching Kenai Nahara, Ken Yerbu, 90 years old. And he's like, I just did a new series. Help me get it out there. And next project, right. what I'm working on, right. his, his eyesight is suffering. But he's not slowing down. He's right. not retired by any stretch. There is no retirement for him. He's uh, super active and still sharp as a tack and, and, and funny and sharing his <laughs> thought-provoking insights for the world. I love his humor. But again, like you said, he had some very, very important things to say. You know, the fact that in, was it 50 years, 70% of uh, American, North American Jew Jews are going to be uh, gone. There's no, uh, that's just based on history. That's based on right. those, those numbers. It's, it's very disappearing. And what about the fact that he, um, well, he talked about our destiny being in Israel. He did say you and I should stay put in America. He did say that. I didn't want to he push him because he did make Aliyah. So I was going to ask. Made Aliyah. He made Aliyah when he retired from the rabbinate in Muncie. He became the rabbi of Hanasi in, in Rehavia. Um, It was a different stage of his life. And he also right. was incredibly perceptive and prescient in seeing the direction Muncie was going right. and getting out while on top, which he actually did, was very, very wise. But I, I regularly am the recipient of venom of what I call the Aliyah snobs, the people who made Aliyah at some point in life. And even though maybe 30, 40, 50, 80 years they lived in America, two days after they moved to Israel, they don't understand how anyone could still be living in America. Right. So anytime I try to write anything positive online about Israel or advocate or celebrate, so they'll come at me with, you know, Goldberg, if you'd only announce you're making Aliyah, the whole show would come with you. If you really right. cared about Israel, you'd be here, which hardly motivates somebody to publicly care about Israel if right. they're going to be the recipient of that attack. But it's not a simple thing for anyone. There are a lot of considerations. There is no, we've shared many times, there's no legitimate reason to not struggle with when, not if. It's not an if, it's a when we're going to be there. But there are legitimate reasons. There are financial reasons, right. professional reasons, family reasons. In our case, I think we're serving a purpose here. I have colleagues, we have friends who've made Aliyah and are lost. They've not found themselves or they don't feel they're making the same difference there that we could be making and there are people it's who true. need, need you know, love and leadership here. So we That's didn't set him up for that, but it was interesting that he said that. It is, it is hard, but I guess what I'm struggling with is the fact that he said, he, he was very clear. He said to, to you, he said to me, he says, don't go. But on the other hand, he did say every gullus has its end. And it seems yep. like the gullus in America, he, again, he's not profit. He said, he's not giving you dates. 
but he's it, he was very clear that things are happening very quickly and right. we're getting close to things turning things are turning all over the world i mean he's looking yep. at these signs and he's saying things are turning in north america yeah so, he is saying that he is saying, when do you go yeah. so he, he's saying you do go but, but, but at the same time that he's saying that for for the amcha for the masses and, and we agree we promote and push and shavuos is our annual dessert reception to celebrate the people making aliyah right to, but to, i will i i will say that and again i i was watching the israeli day parade you know and and, and we flew in one year it was a lot of fun and i was watching all these live feeds about yom yushalayim there's definitely a feeling that you don't get in the united states about celebrating these important days, which you feel when you're there. And like, we try to duplicate it and replicate it. And it's not the same. It's just of course, same. of course. Yeah. You know, when, when you're, uh, Rabbi Wild said it last, didn't he say it last week that, you know, when you do outreach in America, you're like talking about Judaism. When right. You go to Israel, right. You're showing, you're living Judaism. You're living it. Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. My, you know, my mother had a, uh, a big birthday last week. Happy she birthday. A big shout out, a big happy birthday. She turned 39 again. She had a big birthday, but uh, and very grateful. And how, how, how many times has she turned thirty nine now? A couple, a couple. A couple. She doesn't um, look a day over thirty nine. So for my mother, the biggest celebration was the whole family, uh, the whole family who live in Israel, which is my brother and sisters' whole families. My daughter was there with her family, but they went to Yerushalayim for Shabbos Sunday, yeah. Yom Yerushalayim for my mother to be sitting wow. on the side and watching and celebrating and singing. It was the numbers. I don't know if you saw. Packed streets, thousands Packed, and thousands yeah, of people yeah. singing Am Yisrael Chai flags. You know the Jewish people with all the challenges and all the problems that we have in the world. When you see that image of, of tens of thousands, maybe more, of Jews waving flags, singing, screaming Am Yisrael Chai, celebrating Yerushalayim Ira Kodesh, it's amazing. The Torah amazing. learning, the yeshivas, Yerushalayim is being rebuilt, is alive. It, there's a lot that's positive and a lot to celebrate and a lot to be grateful for. It's right. really, really powerful. Really powerful. Yeah. And it's hard. It, I mean, here, here, unless you're in a school where they're celebrating it, I'm saying even for the adults that recognize the, the, the value of those days, right? The ones that, 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 that are, that are, that it's important to them. How, how do you market? How do you feel it? How do you, right. what, what do you do? No matter the minion, you know, right. Right. You have, you have the minion. Yeah. Maybe, you have a minion, but it's, again, it's for a very exclusive group of people. Right. So you end up having bounce houses and barbecues and right. a yomiyun and, you know, issues of Yushalayim learning Yushalayim and Tanakh. That's not the same feel no, of walking through Yerushalayim. Fireworks, but we, right? but we can't we can't we can't right. recreate that. Right. We can't recreate that. Right. There are certain feelings that you have there. You know, for example, I know there are neighborhoods in America that have a siren on Friday. I've been asked many times, Montoya Circle. At this point, what percentage of Montoya Circle is keeping Shabbos? It's over ninety percent. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be right. Listen, we have the golf yeah. sirens anyway. Right. When right, so people say, why don't you put a siren on top of the shul and candlelighting? Why don't we have the siren like Yerushalayim? And my answer is, we're guests here. Right. I don't care if we're 100% Shomer Shabbos and Montoya Circle. There are things that you do in Israel that don't belong outside of Israel. Right. We're guests. We're visitors. That's what he just and, said, right? That yeah. we're, 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 the difference is that we don't recognize it. Like we, think yeah. we're, we think we own the place. No. It's when we think we own the place and we start right. having those sirens and right. double parking yeah. and act like we own the place and uh, whatever. That's, that's when we wake up enemies to want to get us out. Right. So, you know, sometimes oh, it's a so interesting. It's a big conversation. Do we lay low? Yeah. Just do your thing. Don't remind the world you're there. Or do you stand strong? And how exactly you navigate that? Complicated. But I think this, the Shabbos siren, that should be a Yerushalayim thing. You don't experience that. No matter how saturated you are with Shomri Shabbos in America, the mentality is to be here. We're guests. We're visitors. Right. We don't right. we don't blast a Shabbos siren. That's I love not that. what we do. 
Not what we do. Wishing everyone a great Yontif, a great Shavuos. Should have a Kabbalah Satora, receive the Torah, not commemorate oh, it from the past. I, I got big news. Just reminded me. I just yeah. counted 47 tonight. I don't think I've ever made it this far. How about a Daf really? update? You have a Daf update for us? Yeah, I got a Daf update. Thank you, uh, Ellie. And it's great. I, 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 it would take a whole, a whole uh, thing to get into it. I, I give you like the daily, uh, the daily update. It's just but, an amazing thing. One day, I yeah. don't know if Behind the Beamer will still be going by then, but we're gonna we're gonna go live from your CMHS, and we will point <laughs> back. We will point to back that one back episode. That, yeah, that you hadn't opened the Gemara in a long time. I'm yeah. not embarrassing you, and that and that Ellie Stefanski challenged you in the middle of the interview, and you went on the computer during Next the interview. Day. Signed yeah. up the next day, yeah. and you haven't missed yeah. a day of the hardest Masech and Shah since you are caught up yeah. on Yavamas. But I'm actually feeling good about it. Like, I feel good. I feel great. I'm telling you, it's very hard when you're traveling, and you, 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 it's, it's hard to you, – you, you miss a night, and then you, oh, catch up tomorrow without the bracha, and I'll still be in. It's not about the daf. Right. No, I'm talking about the, the, the sphere, the, the daf. It's all the same thing. Oh. It's just just keeping, just plugging, just doing it. It's consistency. It's just, just consistency, yeah. It's the message of right. all these things. Consistency, right. consistency, consistency. Right. Well, it was a great conversation, a great evening with Rabbi Barrow Wine. Thank another good friend who made Aliyah, Seth Grossman, Seth and Esther Grossman. Thank you for sponsoring. Chaim Yehuda Mayer, thank you for sponsoring. If you have not yet signed up, brsonline.org slash one and one. A minute a day of learning, a dollar a day of stuck on the Moskowitz. Find out each person signs up means the world gives them a lot of chizek. You're asking what you can do for them. That's what you can do for them. Take one moment, sign up, dollar a day, minute a day. We've got that in our wheelhouse. Everybody could do it. Wishing you a great Yontif. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bima.